Dr. Dale on Quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Well, hello, everyone. You've tuned in to Dr. Dale on Quail. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. We have a special treat today with a special topic, rattlesnakes and quail, in particular, rattlesnakes and bird dogs. I know many of you have had personal experience with that situation. And for more information, let's go to Dr. Dale Rollins on location. Thank you, Gary. I'm glad to be back this month and uh, look forward to this podcast. I think you're going to find the, today's topic extremely interesting and of interest to a lot of people. And I hope that as you uh, listen to it, that you will forward it to your friends, not only with uh, bird dogs, but uh, any dogs if you're in uh, most of Texas kind of thing. It's going to be talking about rattlesnakes and quail. When I introduce new interns up at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch, I have a question on the skills matrix, and I ask them, Are you, uh, do you have any experience working in the presence of venomous snakes? Because I said, if you've ever heard of Sweetwater, Texas, chances are it was in conjunction with the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup, which is the largest rattlesnake roundup in the world. So we're in, uh, rattle, we're in potential contact with rattlesnakes daily, and I always tell them that there's three things that will result in their immediate suspension. One is if I catch them afield without their snake leggings on, Two, if I catch them a field without the little right in the rain field journal. Or three, if I ever catch rap music on any of the ranch radios. And uh, so that's our working paradigm up at Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Uh, again, if you're a, a bird hunter, uh, you've had probably had some experience with rattlesnakes or you've had fears of rattlesnakes uh, in conjunction with your bird dogs and so forth. And today's uh, topic, we're going to talk about rattlesnakes. We're going to talk about avoidance, vaccinations, and treatment. And our guest today uh, is somebody that uh, is leading the pack as far as the rattlesnakes and bird dogs, Dr. Bud Aldridge here from uh, Sweetwater, Texas. So, uh, Dr. Aldridge, thank you for being our guest today. And tell us a little bit about your history. Well, I, I came home uh, from vet school and came back to, to uh, family practice. My father started this practice in 1947, and so I came back home. And, and interestingly enough, since we're talking about rattlesnakes, uh, got back from College Station the day after I graduated, and the first case that I got to, to work on was a rattlesnake-bitten horse. Uh, pulled into Sweetwater, stopped at the clinic, and the horse came in, and Bob Duncan here in Sweetwater brought that horse in, and we treated him right off the bat. So I've had a little little experience with rattlesnakes. That was, that was in 1969, by the way. Okay, and uh, I assume that you're a graduate of Texas A&M. That's kind of a no-brainer for Absol a veterinarian in Texas. Absolutely. At this particular point, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, our Texas Tech Red Raiders in the future, and that, that's, uh, that's going to be, I think, in another three years. Okay. Uh, give us a little bit about your credentials, Dr. Allridge, and especially as it relates to snake bites. How many snake bite cases have you handled, do you think, over the last, what is that, 40 years nearly? Uh, it's 51. 51 years. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't really think I really kept a count of those, except for one year we were seeing so many, and that was in 1983, the summer of 1983. We treated over 65 rattlesnake bites that one year in dogs and horses. And so, uh, yeah, that was a good year. If you recall, 83, 84, 
that winter was extreme and we had like three weeks of sub freezing weather five days of those were below zero and as a result in 1984 the summer of 84 we only treated 16 rattlesnake bites so mother nature has a real uh, uh, impact on uh, the snake population well we have a pretty vibrant population at the rolling plains quail research ranch and i think a friend of ours paul melton said you had a little bit of experience out there at what used to be the martin ranch oh absolutely i when i was my father and and uh, wt martin were, were great friends and and uh, they would take me out there and kick me out with that old 16 gauge and come find me four or five hours later and that's when i was Oh, in my teens, and so, yeah, I walked over most of that old ranch. It's a well, lovely place. I'd love to have you come out and reminisce with me some point oh, in time. I can do that. You bet. Well, let's talk about the topic again today, and um, here we are on the uh, cusp of hunting season for uh, 2020. And, again, uh, as we head afield, uh, there's always opportunity to uh, – if, if basically, if you're in Bob White Range in Texas, you're in rattlesnake country. And uh, certainly the, here in the Rolling Plains, we have our share of them. And then down there in South Texas, my gosh, you know, they have them as big round of stovepipes down there in South Texas. And they never go underground down there. I tell people one good thing about the Rolling Plains hunting quail here is that the snakes are underground most of the time during bird season. But they're not like that in South Texas. No. So, so the threat is always there. Uh, we're going to talk about three aspects of um, rattlesnakes and dogs. One is prevention. One is treatment, and then uh, spend most of the time probably on the vaccination, which has been available for about the last 15 years. And again, Dr. Aldridge is going to talk with us about all those. Let's first talk about, uh, do you have much experience with snake avoidance What they, in the bird dog world, what we call snake breaking? You bet. Um, I've, I've seen that. It works if it's handled properly and you don't, uh, don't end up uh, having the dog avoiding every bush. Uh, it's, uh, I think those people who are doing a good job with avoidance, it is a valuable tool. Uh, don't, don't discount it at all. Uh, avoidance uh, generally does a, a, a works well. Um, I don't know of any dogs that have had to go through it multiple times. Uh, I think once is usually enough. Once they get that training, it works pretty well. But that's not going to prevent that dog from having an issue. Uh, in a kennel situation sometimes, uh, as Paul Melton can tell you, it, it can happen in the kennel. Uh, and also at a dog that's, that's a big runner, he'll run right over one and get nailed. Um, he never had a chance to even spot him. So we know that that does happen. The avoidance is good. Vaccination is good. Neither one or 100%. And so... Um, you're going to see um, rattlesnake bites that need treatment in both both uh, techniques. So I think the, the vaccination has become so good for us. Uh, I think we started with this back, I think you're right, it was about 2003 when that vaccine first came out. The thing about the vaccine you got to realize is that there's not a lot of, with this particular product, there's not a lot of scientific data that supports it. Most of the uh, support that comes from this is anecdotal. And what, what, uh, what we have learned over the years with it, it is a wonderful tool. It's one of the best things that we can do for a dog that's going to be exposed. Um, it does not mean when you vaccinate these dogs, and let me go through the, 
the what we do with the vaccination is that we'll go ahead and do it um, the first initial vaccination and repeat it in 30 days um, most of the time what we do in our part of the world we will vaccinate only once a year for the rebooster and most of the bird dog guys are going to do that in the fall getting ready for the season um, regular folks that that are usually are going to not bird dog people not bird dogs they're going to vaccinate in march april and as those rattlesnakes come out that's when they're getting their yearly boosters um, down south you got to do it twice a year because those snakes are out there all the time they don't they don't den up like they do here and so so down south and and you've got to vaccinate those dogs twice a year and so it's a, 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 a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity to save your dog a lot of pain and misery because the vaccination helps us uh, on a small dog, hey, gives us a chance to save them right. because small dogs are going to die a lot of times from the snake bite, depending, of course, depending upon where they're bitten. But, but with the big dog, um, hey, it just reduces treatment time, expense, and and pain for that dog, and it gets them over it a lot quicker. So, um, like I say, nothing is a hundred percent, and you can lose them depending on where they're bitten. Right. If a dog gets bit on the head, that's probably a good place to be bitten because there's not a lot of muscle tissue that is going to die and cause the dog uh, more grief. Um, it's mainly just bone and skin and cartilage up there when he gets hit on the muzzle. But if they get hit in a heavy muscled area, that tissue dies. The, the, you got to remember that the venom of a snake uh, is hemotoxic. It is also uh, necrotizing. What that is is just a, a, an enzyme that starts the pre-digestion uh, of the prey for the snake. It's part of his digestive uh, mechanism and so that tissue is injured and and it causes the death of a rat a, a rabbit of whatever and and so it's a, a part of the snake's digestive uh, process that tissue is going to die and so if they're bitten in a heavily muscled area it's it's that tissue dies and sloughs out if it's not treated and so with with uh, with along with the rattlesnake uh, vaccine, a lot of my bird dog guys are. We send them out a, a, a DMSO dexamethasone solution to put on that bite immediately, but then get the dog into the doctor. Yeah, I was going to ask you in a minute about what your uh, treatments are, both in the clinic as well as recommendations for in the field and some of those kind of things. I've uh, run bird dogs for forty years and been lucky. I've only had one dog bit, and it was like two years after that vaccine came out. I didn't have it done at that time, but I've been a believer since that time. But you mentioned that, again, there's not a lot of scientific evidence. There's not a lot of uh, pre-test versus post-test in this situation, but you're probably one of the few veterinarians in the state of Texas that maybe has had enough dogs that were vaccinated and then subsequently bitten. So we, you have a pretty good idea. It's you, you bring to it a little bit more than just anecdotal. I think you got some good observational data there. Well, we had, we had in case, uh, uh, a case this last week that was, was rather graphic, uh, had a, a probably 15 pound terrier cross farm dog. And, uh, we had given him vaccinations last year and then he just got a booster, um, about two months ago and he was bitten last saturday morning 
And um, the guy called and he said, well, I'm not sure what, what's going on. He said, we had some swelling, and, but it's not swelling up real fast, but I've got a bloody spot on his nose. And so, you know, come on in, let's take a look. And sure enough, it's a rattlesnake bite. We treated him um, with just our routine treatment, which is I use steroids and antibiotics and pain relief. Those are the three things that are important to me. And sent him home. That was Saturday afternoon. Had him back in Monday, and you could not tell that dog had, had anything at all. It, it, it was that effective. Um, if we get a dog that is bitten and is really swelling, and whether he's had vaccinations or not, what we do at that point in time, we use an antivenin, uh, and and use, it's the Rattler antivenin is what I'm using now, and it is fantastic. Does a good job. I use uh, um, high doses of. I use steroids. There's controversy there. I don't find any with antihistamines. I don't find any real relief, but I do with with the uh, with steroid and then pain relief and antibiotics. And I'll hook them up and run fluids because a lot of times they need that support. Um, the the snake venom actually causes a coagulation issue and can create a, a, a toxic shock syndrome or. or disseminated uh, intravascular coagulation issue, and we call that DIC, and we also say dead in the cage is DIC, and sometimes when they have that syndrome, it's a cascade, and you can't stop it, and a lot of these dogs will die with this uh, if it gets very bad. So that our objective is to go ahead and support that animal and the vascular system so that we avoid that cascade of events. So um, we can do pretty good work with most of those. Uh, horses too, a lot, of, a lot of the bird dog guys are riding horses and uh, you can vaccinate your horse for this too. Really? And so it's a, it's a very good product uh, for horses as well. We treat the horse the same way as we do the dog with the antivenin too, if we have a bad bite. Um, nose bites are not all that bad. Um, leg bites are really not good at all on horses. I mean, that's that's a that those they're tough. They're tough to deal with. Well, I know. Again, based on my one experience with the dog that got bit is on a Sunday afternoon, of course. So I rushed it into San Angelo there, and uh, my veterinarian there, Doctor Chris Womack, at the time uh, was there and met me, and you know, kept her one or two days there and treated her so forth. And if you've ever seen a dog that's snake bitten, at least without the vaccination on day two they look like some kind of deep sea creature mine was bitten on the head and it's just a, a gross situation when you see that uh, swelling and so forth uh he told me at the time he said basically if a dog lives overnight you're probably going to live would you agree with that in general yes that that is correct um if you can get that swelling going down pretty quick well then you're you're good it's not going to be a bad issue um so it's a, it, but I've seen them take several days to get past it. So, um, and I've had dogs get past it and then two weeks later, just you find them dead. Mm. And that happens too. So just as a, nothing's a hundred percent on all this, you got to remember. So you, you can lose them after the fact. Right. Well, it's a, it's a graphic situation. Again, if you've seen that tissue damage and what that venom can do to a dog. Uh, let's talk about the cost. You've talked about the, the vaccination, and then you also talked about the treatment of the, with the antivenin. I'm assuming 
uh, that vaccination is a whole lot less expensive than the antivenom. I'm, I'm oh, correct absolutely. there. Absolutely, that uh, the antivenom, depending on where you are, I guess, uh, will will run anywhere from three hundred and fifty to to five hundred and fifty dollars for the antivenom, and and the, just for the antivenom, not for the uh, uh, doing it, not for the the professional services that are that are associated with it too. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, the vaccination is less than thirty bucks. Come on, that's that's economically um, better vaccinate. Well, again, in the on social media and the bird dog forums, you see people saying, "Ah, you know, I, they're either believers or they're not believers," kind of thing. But I, I think, at least my stance is, it's awfully inexpensive insurance. It's going to possibly help you. So I, I'm going to go back and, and just add one other thing to this because bird dogs are generally isolated um, from the regular dog population. You got to remember, keep those dogs vaccinated for distemper and, and, and hepatitis and parainfluenza and parvo and all of those because you've got a population of dogs here that don't get out and mix with other, everybody else. And so they're not getting any natural bumps on their immune system. So you keep those dogs vaccinated. And while we're at that, make sure that they're covered for heartworms. Make sure you're using one of those products uh, that will prevent the animal from getting the heartworm too. So, uh, and of course that's transmitted by mosquitoes. And so the heavier load of mosquito uh, you, problems that you have, the more likely you are you're gonna have the, the heartworm issue. Mm-hmm. So the general health of that bird dog is important. Um, also, so be sure and keep all those vaccinations in mind when you're when you're going through your, your dogs and getting them ready for the season. Make sure they're protected. Excellent advice. And uh, let's talk about some of the factors that affect the outcome. You, you mentioned one of them, the placement of the bite and so forth, size of dog. Kind of go through some of the things that you know. Here's a good here's a good prognosis. Here's not a good prognosis, kind of thing. Well. Um, you can, it, of course, the, the location of the bite is very important. Um, say you're bitten on the head and around an eye, uh, that tissue can all slough out, and you can lose a lot of tissue um, in that area. Uh, uh, so you've got to you got to watch. One of the worst bites I think I ever had was in a golden retriever that was bitten right on top of the head in those mastication muscles and the temporal muscles. Now that dog, you could see his skull before it finally granulated in and, and haired back over. And so you can lose that tissue really quick. I've seen dogs bit in the chest that died within 30 minutes. Uh, so it, it, dogs that are bitten in heavy muscled areas like a hind leg or a front leg on the side, oh, man, that, they're tough. And you've got to get after them really hard and stay with them because that tissue sloughs out and you're dealing that liver is really having to deal with all that dead tissue and, and stuff and it it's it's tough on them it's tough on them so the best place to be bitten right on the head right on the muzzle uh, right on top of the nose that's the best and of course that's where most dogs get bit yeah. because they're investigating that that's where your avoidance comes in because they're slowly going up and checking that snake out what is that and bam they get it right on the nose and and if you're not familiar with that snake breaking or snake avoidance, basically they use an e-collar, and uh, they they uh, make, in my case, they made uh, three snakes available, one that had the fangs removed, one that had the rattlers taped up to where the dog couldn't hear it, and then one just where they'd see the dog. So the dog is a 
shocked, stimulated uh, when it comes, when it smells the snake for the first time and then when it sees the snake or when it hears the snake. And uh, it's deadly effective too, or it has been for my dogs anyway. It works. It does work. It really does. And, and I say it, it is a great technique. I'm, I'm a believer in it, uh, but I also believe that you need to cover all your bases and get that vaccination too. Yeah, so again, we're talking about an integrated approach, avoidance, but if something happens, then we're talking about treatment in the field and then getting it to the uh, clinic uh, right away. What are some of the things you'd recommend for in the field while you're uh, en route to the vet clinic? Do you want to do anything? I guess it depends on how far away you are from a vet clinic. I I have always in the past have used a uh, solution that I mix up uh, for my bird dog guys to put on there immediately, Um, and it's um, I use a DMSO. Uh, dexamethasone mixture and and a swab bottle, and and I'll go ahead and and, and uh, swab that uh, snake bite area down all the way around it and, and surrounding skin, and uh, you got to remember that that snake bite hurts, and so uh, I've also used spray. I just put it in a spray bottle and spray it on that bite one because the dog doesn't want you putting that dauber on there. And so either way to apply that particular mixture seems to really slow down the progression of, and I don't know what it does. Here again, we're talking anecdotal mm-hmm. because no one, no one's ever done a study on that, but uh, I have seen it work over the years to with great benefit. So uh, most of the guys that I deal with, we send them a bottle of that and say use that immediately and then get them to us. And that's that's how we handle. That's the only way I can say in the field. If you don't have that, or if you uh, just don't have it, just get to a vet as soon as possible. Get get in and get some veterinary care. Now I always hear various home brews and so forth, and you may or may not want to comment on them. But I guess one is benign is uh, giving a dog an antihistamine Benadryl kind of thing. Does that do any good at all? Yeah, there are a lot of veterinarians that that don't like steroids. Um, and use antihistamine. Um, so there's there's a lot of controversy and difference of opinion on that. In my hands, I don't I don't I don't see any benefit of antihistamines. In in my view, I think antihistamines are great when we start talking about bee stings and wasp stings, especially if you're getting into a, a anaphylactic reaction and they're really starting to swell up or whelp up. That's where Benadryl does a great job. Uh, but for snake bites, I, it doesn't do the job for me like steroids do. And I say there's a difference of opinion um, from different veterinarians, but that's my opinion and that's my, my protocol. I use the steroids. Um, but, but it's not going to hurt if you give it. It just may not do you any good. It's not contraindicated at all. So, uh, Well, again, I, again, your opinion carries a lot of weight because, like I said, I suspect you're – among the top two, if not the top person, as far as treating snake bites in dogs, and you certainly live in an area that's robust with snakes here in the Sweetwater area. And uh, again, I know a lot of people in South Texas, and they carry your 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 field kit with the dexamethasone and the uh, what was the other DMSO, DMSO and, and carry that in field. I don't run into too many people in the rolling plains for whatever reason, but again, we just don't have the issue typically during bird season like guys in South Texas do. Yeah. No, no, they're, those those snakes down there are huge. Interestingly enough, all of the snakes, not all of the snakes, but oftentimes when they have the largest and biggest snake at the Sweetwater Roundup, it came from South Texas. Really? Yeah. I can believe that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, you mentioned the uh, antivenin a while ago. Is that the same antivenin that they use? I mean, if I was to get bitten on the leg and come here to Sweetwater Hospital, is that the same antivenin? No, it's not. Okay. Now, I used to use that. That was the standard. That's what we used to use all the time. Um, but that's not what we use now. Uh, I'm using a Rattler uh, antivenin. It's new. It's uh, a product that uh, I have a great deal of, of uh, confidence in. It's almost as if you can start that and and run it IV and you can almost see that dog feeling better and you can almost see the swelling stop. It is fantastic. It does a good job. Uh, just one thing came to mind there. I, I remember growing up there in southwestern Oklahoma and uh, my dad worked for a veterinarian from Childress. You probably know him, Dr. Bob Jones. He's been gone yes. quite a while. Yes. But... Uh, they would. Uh, I remember somebody bringing in a dog one time, and it was, of course, this was way pre-vaccination. It's back during the 60s. And the dog had been bitten three times by snakes. So I guess he was self-immunized by repeat exposure. I can tell you a quick story. Um, back when I first started practice, there was a dog down south of town that, uh, as, as most families back in those days, had probably six or eight dogs around their house out in the country. And this old dog named Lady would absolutely fight all the dogs off and go kill the snake. And at last count, she had been bitten 17 times. <laughs> she would, she would go, when, when they couldn't find her, they would, they would assume that she'd been bitten. So they'd go over to their old station wagon that didn't have a window in the back, and they'd find her in their back. So they'd just drive up to the clinic, they'd open the door, she'd jump out, run up to the front door of the clinic, go into the to the exam room when you open the door for her, and then you'd treat her, and then she'd jump down and go back. Um, and she uh, she was really quite a dog, belonged to the Pennells down south of town. Uh, and it's quite a dog, but at last count, 17 times. And she never did swell anymore after about the 10th or 12th time, but they'd bring her in anyway. Right. We'd give her a shot, and she'd go home. She right. was fine. Yeah. We've, we've spoken uh, exclusively about Western Diamondbacks, but there are some other venomous snakes that uh, around, and, and what is the uh, spectrum of the vaccination? It, it's, it is Curtilus atrox, and that is the Western Diamondback. Now, most of the rattlesnake venoms of the other uh, 12, 15 species, it cross-immunizes cross too, so it works okay. Um, but for the Mojave, for the Cottonmouth, um, for the Coral, and there's one other. Copperhead? Uh, copperhead. Uh, no, the Copperhead, it, it does a pretty good job on the Copperhead. Uh, but there's one other, and I can't remember what it is offhand. But the Mojave, of course, is neurological, and you, we've got some Mojave up here west and north of us. Um, but the Cottonmouth, it doesn't work on at all, and... Um, one other one, and I can't remember what it is yeah. offhand. We don't see it here. So. Right. Well, uh, the only two that we we run into are in, up here on the research ranch are the uh, prairie rattlesnakes and the, and the western diamondbacks. Well, and and it works against those. Uh, I've forgotten the eastern, the eastern rattlesnake. That I just remembered what it was. It was the eastern rattlesnake over in East Texas that we see, and I guess in the south. Um, but the western diamondback is what this is primarily made of. 
Okay, uh, again, uh, the voice of a lot of experience handling snake bites and dogs. Is there anything I've missed, Dr. Aldridge, as far as our talking points? Anything else you want to add? Not, not, I think we got it, most of it covered. I believe so. Yeah. No, any other, have people, if people have questions, don't, don't, don't hesitate to call. We'll be glad to, to help any way we can. And again, if, if you're hunting, again, anywhere in the Bob White Range in Texas, uh, your opportunity for an uh, encounter with venomous snake is certainly there. Uh, again, a little higher probably in South Texas than it is here in the Rolling Plains. We're thankful for that. But uh, uh, if you have uh, listeners, have friends that uh, either have the hunting dogs or, again, I've got two Yorkies, and I vaccinate them, and I don't know it does any good, but I figure they wouldn't stand a chance if they didn't have the it'll, it'll help. It'll help. It'll give us a chance to save them. Right. It'll give us a chance. Dr. Alridge, uh, again, we've talked about the vaccination, and we've talked about antivenom. So what's the what's the difference between the two? Well, the the vaccination causes a, 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 the body to build up antibodies um, against the rattlesnake venom. I mean, that's what it does. The antivenin, at the same time, is actually antibodies that have been harvested and put into a, a, a plasma, if you will, and that's what you're administering with antivenin is a, a, a bag of antibodies. The claim by, and I don't know here again, uh, I don't know if it's been documented, but the claim by Red Rock Biological is that when you vaccinate the dog, you're going to have antibodies, protective antibodies, that would be three times that of a bag of vanavenin. Now, I don't know that there's scientific data to back that up, but you gotta remember too, that they're, not every dog is the same and is gonna react the same, and not every dog will develop that many antibodies, and some might not develop any at all. So you, there are those unknowns, but but generally speaking, the vaccination produces antibodies at a level equal to or greater than a bag of antivenin. So using them both really is is the ideal thing so that you can get that dog over that that bite quicker. Dr. Alridge, uh, sometimes you hear people say that they didn't have much of a reaction with their dog, or and I know this happens in people too that. Uh, and they say it must have been a dry bite or a defensive bite. Now, tell us about what, what they're talking about there. Well, I've, I've actually seen that happen where you actually see an animal bit, but it never swells. And it could be that you had a defensive strike, um, but no no venom was injected into the dog or the horse. And so we know that that's, uh, that is possible. I can remember one particular case where we had a horse that had been vaccinated but was bitten by a small snake. It was a 12-incher, 14-inch snake. And the owner saw it get bit. And the horse reacted and jumped back, but never did swell. He killed the snake and realized when he did that the snake had a mouse in him, and he probably didn't have any antivenin or any venom left. He had killed the mouse, then struck the snake, uh, struck the horse, didn't have any venom to inject. So you have the dry bite. Now, I've heard that, again, you, you set me straight on this, but, you know, again, we've got rattlesnakes out there from eight inches to seven foot kind of thing. Is there uh, is there a relationship between the outcome of the uh, 
experience and the size of the snake, or is there any relation to the, how much venom they're getting based on the size of the snake? Big snakes have more venom. Small snake, the venom's the same in small snake and and the, the large snake. So, the the quality of the venom is the same. The quantity is a difference. A big snake's just going to have that much more. Okay. Interestingly enough, we do know that you can uh, possums are immune. Possums, the old possum is immune to rattlesnake bites. A, an interesting bit of trivia. Learn something new every day. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, again, uh, I wish we had this uh, snake avoidance. I wish we could extend that to porcupines, and I believe we could. I believe we could, and uh, that'll be a subject for another story maybe with Dr. Aldridge. But uh, the spread of porcupines, if you want to know where they're at, you talk to your veterinarian. They're going to be able to give you the update they're, on where those they're, were. They're in Nolan County, I will guarantee you. Yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today, Dr. Allridge, and uh, listeners. Uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to the quail season starting next month. And, uh, Gary, with that, I'm going to uh, turn it back to you. Uh, we're on location here in Sweetwater, Texas, and uh, send it back your way. Thank you so much, Dr. Dale, and thank you, Dr. Allridge, for your excellent advice, your good information. We appreciate it. What an interesting topic. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau saying thank you for being with us today. If you have interest in other archived episodes of Dr. Dale on quail, be sure to go to quailresearch.org for a complete list of past episodes and the great information and work that the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation is doing there in Fisher County. With that, I appreciate your time. I look forward to our visit next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at gordiansons.com.